0: at calvary there my savior died he took my place and by his grace came with me to abide all i need for
1: living is mine by just believing life begins at calvary life that never ends
2: after five days ananias the high priest descended with elders certain are named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness notwithstanding, that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray that you would hear us of thy clemency a few words. We have found this man, Paul, a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also had gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged them according to our law. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us, and with great violence, took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you, by examining of whom yourself may take knowledge of all these things which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because, you know, you may understand, There are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. They neither found me in the temple, disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto you, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets." That hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men." Welcome to the Unchanging
0: Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever.
1: In this 24th chapter of Acts, Luke continues to relate the opposition to the Apostle Paul now appearing in the presence of Felix the governor in Caesarea. But this time, a certain lawyer named Tertullius speaks both flattery towards Felix and lying accusations against Paul with which the unbelieving Jews were in hearty agreement. Now as we read this passage, we see that the opposition has put forth baseless accusations which they could not in fact prove. Now Paul is given the nod to present his defense. So Paul puts forth once again his hope in God who declares the resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And this he read and believed from the Old Testament. Job chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. Job himself declares that he knows his Redeemer lives and that he will even see him in his own resurrected body. Acts chapter 24, verse 1 with Dr. Mitchell. This is The Unchanging Word, Bible Broadcast.
2: Good day, friends. May I just take the time today to thank you, many of you who who write letters and support us in this work of broadcasting the Word of God. I can't say how much I appreciate so much your your cooperation with us in this ministry. Indeed, I would say we could not continue this ministry if it were not for your prayers and your support of this program. I, I rejoice in the fact that we're on God's team, you and me, on God's team, to communicate to our generation the precious Word of God. Oh, how I thank the Lord for the many who have come to know the Savior, and the great many who have come to assurance that have been helped and blessed through this ministry. Continue to pray for us and with us that a great many people may come to know the Lord Jesus. We have only one great passion, one great desire, to exalt our Lord and that people might come to know Him in a very precious, real way. For there's no life comparable to this life lived in fellowship, relationship with the Son of God. The man out of the world, the man out of Christ, knows nothing about it. You see, the world by wisdom knew not God, pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. Oh, that men might know Him. Too many have a distorted idea or a distorted vision of the person of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm using that title deliberately because if Jesus of Nazareth is not the Christ of God, if he's not the Savior, if he's not raised from the dead, we have no message to give to our world. This is what Paul means in Corinthians 15. If Christ be not raised from the dead, we are yet in our sins. We are of all men most miserable. and Those who have died have perished, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let us eat, let us drink, let us be merry. Tomorrow we die. It's what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, chapter 15. So as we go through the book of Acts and whatever else the Lord may put upon our hearts, and by the way, I'd like to have your interest in prayer concerning uh, what we shall take up next on our program after we're through the book of Acts. I'm really, really disturbed about conditions today, and I'm really desirous of bringing to you something from the Word of God concerning our Savior that will uphold you, strengthen you, build you up in Christ. For I verily believe we're coming to the end of the age, and conditions in this land and throughout the world as such, in the field of science, in the field of philosophy, and so on, uh, we're coming to the place where we must be grounded in the gospel of the Savior. Otherwise, you won't be able to stand because of the opposition. I say this very frankly. I say it with a heart burdened because I know that so many Christians have never been established in the Word of God. Many have been Christians for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and can't give a a real good reason for the hope within them. This is why I'm concerned so Excuse me, taking these few moments to put upon your heart this burden of prayer that men and women might be saved, that our nation these days might be brought back to the foundation of the Word of God, that the gospel might go through this whole land and there may be thousands swept into the kingdom of God, brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that the those who are evangelicals—I use that term just because of the want of a better word—those who who really have had an experience with the Savior, have really trusted the Savior, that they may be found usable by God, reaching somebody else with the gospel. I say this kindly, but I really need your prayers. Our nation needs your prayers, especially these days. Please, let us be like Samuel when he said, God forbid that I should cease in praying, in ceasing to pray for you, when he's praying for Israel. Now we come to the twenty-fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Allow me to say, first of all, in chapter 24, you have Paul's defense before the Roman governor Felix. In chapter 25, he's before the Roman governor Festus. In chapter 6, the end of chapter 25 and chapter 26, he's before King Agrippa. So you have three Roman governors. Now, I can't say much for any one of the three. You take, for example, uh, this man, this man uh, Felix. If I may quote from Tacitus, the Roman historian, and I quote from him when he said, Felix reveled in cruelty, reveled in lust, wielded the power of a king, but he did it with the mind of a slave. I take it from, from ancient history that this man, Felix, uh, was a slave. For some reason he got his freedom and through political maneuvering and a uh, strong ambition to be somebody found himself a governor. But he reveled in cruelty. He was a man full of lust. The lust of the flesh ruled his life. He wielded the power of a king but had the mind of a slave. End of quotation. Now, in chapter 20, 24, the first nine verses, we have the opposition to Paul. Now, remember in the preceding chapter, Paul, there were forty me, more than 40 men who had banded together under an oath that they would not eat any more until they'd kill Paul. Now, how God used a, a young man, Paul's nephew, to bring the word of warning to the governor, uh, to the um, captain of the host, and the result was that uh, he sent two centurions with some soldiers and so forth and brought him down to Caesarea and brought him to this man, Felix. And then after five days, I'm reading the first verse of chapter 24, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended uh, with elders, with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. That is, they came down from Jerusalem to Caesarea and when he was called forth uh, tertullus began to accuse him saying seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence we accept it always and in all places most noble felix with all thankfulness notwithstanding that i have not further that i be not further tedious unto thee i pray that you would hear us of thy clemency a few words. We have found this man, Paul, a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition. Now mark, first of all, this man, he starts off with flatteries. He starts off with flattery and lies. Now you mark this, and he has a threefold accusation against Paul. Verse 5, We have found this fellow a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition, among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also had gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged him according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Because if he hadn't he'd have been killed, torn to pieces, commanding his accusers to come to you, by examining of whom Yourself may take knowledge of all these things which we accuse him. And the Jews also were saying that these things were so. Now just let me stop a second here. Notice again, I repeat it, uh, this, this, um, this man who was a great orator to tell us, uh, he used flattery. He began to butter up Felix, telling him what a wonderful fellow he was, and how they appreciated his government, And by the way, they just hated him. They hated every Roman who was over them. You and I can't begin to appreciate uh, the the feeling of the Jews toward the Roman leaders. They hated them. But notice what he does here. He butters up Felix. He's a flatterer. And he lies. And his accusation is threefold. First of all, he said, this is a pestilent fellow. And he's a mover of sedition. Now, if he's a mover of sedition, then he's against Rome. Sedition against Rome. That's what he's talking about. Among all the Jews throughout the world, wherever this man Paul has gone, he's stirred up the Jews. He's, He's a seditionist. He's against the Roman government. Now, notice what he says. First of all, he flatters the Roman governor, then accuses Paul of being opposed to the Roman rule and he's stirring up the Jewish people against Rome. Secondly, uh, he's accused of heresy. Uh, He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. This is a heresy. In other words, he's opposed to Moses and the law. He's a heretic. He claims that Jesus is God. He claims that Jesus is the Messiah. He claims that Jesus is the only one who can save sinners that Jesus is the one who's coming back to reign. You remember Paul spoke of that in the book of Acts when he spoke of the fact they accused him, you remember, in Thessalonica in chapter 17 of Acts that he talked about the coming of one Jesus, a king who's going to reign. And that means that he is going against Rome and he's against Moses. And then the third the third accusation was that he, he profaned the temple. In other words, he was accused of sacrilege. Allow me to again repeat the three things. He was accused of sedition against Rome, of heresy against Moses and the prophets, and against—and he was accused of sacrilege that he had defiled the temple. You remember their accusation was that he had brought in a, a man who was a, a Gentile, which, of course, was wrong. And we would have taken him and judged him according to our law on these three grounds, of sedition, of heresy, of sacrilege. But the chief captain, Lysias, wouldn't allow us. And with great violence, he took him away. Well, of course, as I said a moment ago, they would have torn Paul to pieces. And he told us to come on and accuse him before you. And all the Jews, all the Jews who came down, Ananias and all the rest of them, uh, they just said, that's true, that's true, that's true. We we, uh, we assent what these things are so. Now, from verse 10 down to 23, you have Paul's defense, and he answers all these three charges. You know, uh, this man is bold. Listen to him. Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself why is Paul so bold? Because he knows that this man Felix is no dumb fool in the question of the accusations. He knows how the Jews hated him. No question about that. But mark the first one, sedition. I do the more chiefly answer for myself, because, you know, you may understand, there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. There hasn't been enough time to start an insurrection, you see. I haven't been here long enough. You know, I, I think I would put in here Proverbs, the 28th chapter, the first verse, last part of the verse, where it says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. Yes, my friend, that's true. I have seen some men who I considered somewhat weak, but when it comes to the question of standing for the word of God they're as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Believe me, they are. Isn't this part. Understand, Felix, I haven't been around here 12 days. I've just come from over overseas and I've just come home and it's just about 10, 12 days since I went to Jerusalem to worship. I haven't had time to gather people together. I haven't had time to start an insurrection. So you see, Their their accusation of sedition falls to the ground. Next one, verse 12. And neither found me, they neither found me in the temple, disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. I have not committed sacrilege against the temple. They can't prove it. They can't prove it that I went in the temple disputing with people, raising up, a tr- raising up trouble, neither in the synagogues, nor in the temple, nor in the city. They can't prove it. Thirdly, they accused him of heresy. Verse 14, But this I confess unto you, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. You see, his belief, he worshiped God according to the Scriptures. He was not against Moses. He was not against the temple. And if they had believed the Scriptures, they would have been just like Paul. I want you to mark how he does it. I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. And if they believed the law and the prophets, they'd be standing with me instead of accusing me. And also I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow. There shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. comes right back again. The issue again is the resurrection. Uh, He makes no apology. He makes no apology for his faith. Will he please mark it? He had hope of the resurrection, and they themselves allow. There is a resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. You remember the scriptures. Need I go into them? Job 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and his feet shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. Though worms destroy this body, I shall yet in my flesh see God by my side. When I see him, behold, He's not a stranger. Daniel chapter 12, the first two or three verses, those who are in the dust of the earth shall come forth. Resurrection to life, resurrection to judgment. Isaiah 26, with their dead bodies shall they arise. And one even may go to Ezekiel chapter 37. And follow through in chapter 37, though I believe 37 has to do with the resurrection of the nation Israel. But they believe that there's a resurrection and Paul makes no apologies for his faith. Well, you Mark this, I walk according to the word of God, believing all things, not a few things, not a few things, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Remember, he's talking about the Old Testament and he believes the whole thing from Genesis to Malachi. I had a man say to me one time, You're important, and he did quite a bit of preaching. He said, Mitchell, why don't you Why don't just stay in the New Testament? Why do you always bring the Old Testament in? Well, my friend, the Old Testament is the Word of God just as much as the New Testament. In fact, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old, and you can't really understand the Old Testament without the the New Testament one is the confirmation of the other one su- one supports each support each other you remember second Peter chapter 1 22 and 3 the the prophets of old spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit just the same spirit of God that that moved through Paul and the writers of the New Testament was the same blessed spirit that spake through the Old Testament prophets from Moses and on through, confirmed by the words of our Savior in Luke chapter 24, when he said to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, oh slow of heart, not to believe all that Moses and the law and the prophets and the Psalms did write, The whole Old Testament, our Lord, uh, shall I say, confirmed the whole Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Now Paul here says, I worship God, and I believe all things which are written in the law and the prophets. May I say what to God, every professing Christian should believe all from Genesis to Revelation. I may not understand all of it. And listen, my friend, I know there are those who listen in who do not agree with me. That, that's, that's your right. But may I remind you that you only know in part, I only know in part, there must be a growth in the grace and knowledge of God. And I'm quoting Corinthians 13, the last part of of 2 Peter chapter 3. There must be a growth in the knowledge. And if I were to study the Word of God for a hundred years, and if you did the same thing, there'd be so much in there you would not even know yet. I'm saying this because we ought not to criticize or judge or damn anybody else who, who claims that you have all the truth Uh, And you know more than they do. I say that because I know what I'm talking about. But do you believe all that the Scriptures have said? And in verse 15, he again brings up the question of resurrection of which I have spoken. They themselves allow that there's a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And now he speaks of his character in in verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Let me just stop here. May I again speak of it His character? Always a conscience void of offense toward God and without offense toward man. What more could he be? What more could he do? What about you? Can you say with Paul, did your conscience is void of offense toward God and without offense toward man? Is that your character? You see, Paul defends his testimony. He defends his life, he defends his character. He's got a right to do that. be one for you and for me today as we walk in this world to walk without offense toward God. that means walking in fellowship in obedience to his will. Secondly, to live and to walk without offense toward men, to manifest a love that's divine and a love that is real. Now may the Lord bless you today, and please keep on reading 24, 25, and 26 as we take a pause defense before these Roman governors. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake.
0: We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. The unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. You can write us at The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. That's The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. Thank you for listening to The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Our teacher has been Dr. John G. Mitchell. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast.
1: Life begins a every my